With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. You're listening to the Red Seat Podcast, part of the Over the Monster Network. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Hosted by Jake Devereaux. It's gone. It's into the bullpen. This game is tied. This game is tied. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. And featuring Keaton DeRocher. It's a grand slam. I'm telling you. Welcome back to the Red Sea Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I am joined by Keaton DeRocher of Over the Monster and the Dynasty Guru for episode 222 of the show. Keaton, welcome back to the show. Uh, how was your, your trip to Minneapolis? It was great. It was really hot weather. Uh, I got to meet a bunch of new people that I didn't know. But on the way back, um, it was all made better uh, because we stopped at Popeye's grab food on the way home and they gave me far more tenders than i ordered nice so that's good. nice way to end the weekend i have been to popeyes i've never been to minneapolis so you know i'm not that worldly it turns out <laughs> <laughs> all right uh t- on today's show we've got a whole lot of stuff to talk about we are going to be running down the gamut of uh red sox news um We're going to be talking about where the Red Sox sit in the standings. We're going to talk about the All-Star game. um, And then we're going to talk a whole lot about the observations that we have from this uh, eight-game winning streak. The Sox are just, you know, killing it right now. Um, And then we're going to spend the end of the show talking a little bit about the offense uh, that is not, you know, batters two through six. Um, The guys who are producing the most So we're going to look into those individual situations, and then we will get into listener questions to close out the show. But we have a bit of good news at the top. um, Chris Sale is going to throw two innings tomorrow at Fort Myers uh, today as you're listening to this, and then he's going to head out for his rehab assignment uh, if everything goes well. Um, And then Connor Siebold is also going to be throwing three innings at Fort Myers. Uh, This information was per... Jen McCaffrey of the Athletics. So, uh, fantastic news here on the pitching front. Heck yeah! It just feels like for the Red Sox to be in the position they're in right now, and they haven't had Chris Sale thrown any form yet. It's just like 
the slog of those summer games, and then there's a boost of energy knowing that Chris Sale's almost back. Yeah, seriously. It's such a huge relief uh, to get a guy like Chris Sale back. And, you know, when um, uh, Arroyo was rehabbing, he was taking some at-bats against Chris Sale and was like, yes, this is very much old Chris Sale right here. So uh, that's exactly what we want to see from him. And it feels like uh, he'll be back in the rotation relatively shortly. Um, Stuff looks good, and it sounds like they're not going to screw around with anything in terms of the bullpen, it sounds like if everything goes the way that they expect it to, that he's going to be right back there in the rotation. Good. I love it. Yeah, me too. Um, and Connor Seabold news is good, uh, especially because, you know, for the bulk of the year so far, you know, we had had limited um, starting pitching depth. And luckily, the Red Sox have been extremely healthy in their starting rotation. So they've avoided any, um, you know, needing to call up guys like Ryan Weber or something like that for uh, a start here or there. Um, But now Tanner Houck is healthy. He's just made his third start um, since coming back from the injury. So getting Connor Siebold back here, that's a huge boost to the depth in the second half of the season as well. So hopefully, you know, he's he's 100% healthy at this point as well. Is is that something that you're excited about, too, seeing seeing Connor Siebold? Yeah, because we're getting to the point now where, like, if all these coming up on, um, you know, more innings than he has pitched in, like, five or six years, um, Erod's getting deep into a season after having completely missed last season. Garrett Richards is pretty much in the same boat. I don't think he's pitched a healthy season in about five years. Uh, and we're getting deep into the point where those – guys that haven't rung up a bunch of innings um, to build up like a season's worth of stamina tend to start breaking down mm. uh, and not great time. Well, I mean, the Red Sox at least have a little bit of a cushion here now, but they still do have a bunch of games coming up against the Rays and the Yankees, um, which won't be easy games. Uh, so to make sure that they have reinforcements in case one of these guys goes down and not only that, to have like more than one option of guys to go to, um, I think is going to be huge for the second half of the season. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's great insurance for if anybody breaks down, and uh, you know, luckily they haven't so far. And keep our fingers crossed that they don't. But you know, uh, it's nice to have that insurance for sure. All right, so let's get get right to where the Red Sox stand here. Um, Red Sox have been crazy hot lately. Um, they are about to start the, their baseball game uh, tonight against the Angels as we record this podcast on a Monday. Um, But the Red Sox have won nine out of their last 10 games. Um, They have the best record in the American League now. Um, This streak included eight games in a row. Teams on pace to win 100-plus games, Keaton. How shocked are you that I'm saying that right now? (laughs) Uh, Very. (laughs) (laughs) What percentage preseason would you have given this team to win 100-plus games? Less than five? Yeah, I was going to say like two. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I mean, my preseason prediction was 81 and 81, or 82 and 80. It's like right around 500. I think I gave him the benefit of the doubt of winning one more game to be above 500. So, um, yeah, this pace is significantly better than I expected. (laughs) Yeah, it's even like 14 games ahead of the pace that I had predicted for them, uh, which was, you know, in the high 80s. So, um, 
Yeah, it's really awesome. <laughs> it is, there are just so many things that have contributed to it. You know, the healthy starting pitching, resurgence in the offense by guys like J.D. Martinez, um, all sorts of different stuff. But I think the biggest factor that I can point to is just Alex Cora. I mean, what's the biggest factor for you? I think that's certainly a big factor. I'm, I was going to say bullpen, but at the same time, Alex Cora's fingerprints are pretty heavily on the bullpen. So, yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. That's probably it. Yeah. It's interesting. We haven't still been able to quantify that, and maybe we never will be able to. But, um, you know, the, the difference in terms of the clubhouse and how everybody's been comfortable, uh, it's huge. And we only have six games to go before the All-Star break. Five as you're listening to this, because the game that's going on right now will have already happened. Um, Sox, as we record this, are four and a half games up on Tampa Bay, eight and a half games up on Toronto, and a whopping 10 games up on the New York Yankees. I asked you last week, Keaton, if we could stick a fork in the Yankees. You said no. Are you ready to stick a fork in the Yankees yet? Yeah, I'm there now. <laughs> okay, it took you one more week than me, but I'm glad to see that you're you're there with me. What convinced you? Uh, Araldus Chapman can no longer pitch. Yep. Okay, he needs the goo. Garrett Richards uh, is not the only one that needs the goo. Apparently, uh, Araldus Chapman and Garrett Cole both need the goo as well. So, you know, it's it's uh, it's nice to have your guy that needs the goo be the, the guy with the $10 million team option rather than the guy that's making $300 million <laughs> bucks. Yeah. Yeah, it is. <laughs> um, some other good news for the Red Sox. Um, we have a whopping five All-Stars. Uh, that have been selected to play in the All-Star game. Uh, no other Major League Baseball team had five. Um, so Red Sox certainly living up to their record with having the most guys go into the game. Uh, Xander Bogarts is going to be your AL starter at shortstop, as voted in by the fans. He ranks third behind Tatis and Correa in WRC+, and in uh, War, Fangraph's War. And he's eighth in home runs. Fourth in runs and sixth in RBI. Um, was it the right move to pick Xander Bogarts above Correa, even though Correa was ahead of him in a few of those categories? Yes, it was the right thing to do. I agree. Um, and I think, if anything, it's just like both teams are good, both guys are good, but Xander Bogarts is just more consistent. So I think that's why I would have given it to him. Also, I just like him more. Agreed. <laughs> uh, Rafael Devers is also a starter in the All-Star game, uh, as voted in by the fans. Uh, but this one feels like a slam dunk. So Devers, uh, in terms of where he ranks at third base, he's first in home runs, first in RBI, first in runs, first in WRC+, and first in Fangraph's War at the position. Uh, and in addition to that, uh, Jen McCaffrey put it, out an article about him on The Athletic that I think everybody should go ahead and check out. He has a positive uh, defensive run save this year. Um, he is only behind Matt Chapman and Manny Machado in DRS, and he's tied in DRS with Arenado, uh, Jose Ramirez, and Gio Urshela. That's pretty wild. That is, considering the season that he had to start, too. He had, like, three errors in the first series, I think. Yeah. Um, and then people were already wondering, like, oh, is it time to move him to DH? Should he be taken off third, put to first? Um, but a lot of his 
issue. Well, first off, he's just a notoriously slow starter in the field and at the plate, and then tends to figure it out uh, and have a much better comeback. But a lot of his errors usually end up being just like footwork things um, on like not really throws or misplaying it uh, with his positioning or anything like that. And that stuff is pretty easy to fix, especially when you're in the right space mentally. And so considering the hot start that he had with the bat, I think that kind of helped him be able to focus on some of those things a bit more uh, and get that straightened out. Um, but it, it didn't seem like he would be in this position with the season, the, how he started the season, but he has been significantly better uh, for a real extended period of time now. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it's it's definitely the feet. Um, you know, Wade Boggs talked a lot about how the feet were the thing that kind of stabilized for him and that he kept working at later in his career when he finally won a gold glove late in his career. Um, so I think, you know, we're seeing the game start to slow down a little bit. And I totally agree with you, Keaton, that it's probably a lot easier going out there mentally, knowing you have you're contributing to the team in all these different ways too. the 20 home runs, 70 RBIs already. I mean, come on, that's wild. Uh, dude is on pace to destroy his career highs in just about everything. Um, and my bold prediction for Devers to be top three in the MVP voting is not looking bad at this point. So. No, not at all. <laughs> and like Chapman Machado and Arenado are like the pinnacle of third base defense over the last, um, Oh, decade seven years or so five yeah, to ten years ish uh so for him to be right there with those guys is really impressive it really is and you know we don't expect him to be in the stratosphere of machado chapman or arenado so you know being anywhere close to them is pretty cool yeah for sure um all right matt barnes was also named an all-star he's an al reserve relief pitcher uh, he was voted in on the player ballot jay martinez was voted in as an AL reserve at DH uh, on the player ballot as well. Uh, he's got a 144 WRC plus 17 home runs, and he has the 11th most runs in RBIs in all of baseball. So that's the resurgent J.D. Martinez that we're talking about. And then I think the biggest surprise, Keaton, to both of us was uh, Nathan Eobaldi making it as an AL reserve starting pitcher. Uh, this was on the MLB choice ballot. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I was shocked. Nobody... Um, predicted this. We did a little roundtable here at Over the Monster on Friday about who should be an all-star, and not a single person uh, put Eovaldi on there. That was surprising. You know who did predict it? Who? Jerry Remy. Really? Wow. He did. He also predicted Alex Verdugo um, and that the Red Sox would have six all-stars. Wow. And that seemed like a bit of a stretch to yeah. me. But he nailed it. Yeah, he did. Um... The Eovaldi thing is interesting, though, because, you know, before we got on the show tonight, Keaton, we were looking a little bit at where he ranked in terms of uh, Fangraph's war at the position and where he ranked in terms of uh, baseball reference war at the position. And uh, Fangraph's war is based off of FIP, so fielding independent pitching. Uh, and he ranks third in all of baseball behind Jacob deGrom and Zach Wheeler in terms of F war. And that seemed really super duper high. And so we looked up where he ranks in terms of uh, baseball reference. Um, and I have those numbers in front of me right here. Uh, he ranks 11th in the game uh, by baseball reference in the American League. So this is just the American League. He ranks 27th in all of baseball in terms of B-Ref war. 
uh, at 2.5. That to me feels a lot more accurate based on what my eyes tell me. Yeah, same. That's what I mean. He's having a better year than I thought. Um, I thought he was still closer to a 40 array than a three, but he's actually a 3.41. So that, that's better um, after having a couple of rocky starts there. The walks obviously are tremendous. Uh, 1.75 walks per nine uh, is slightly less than um, a strikeout per inning. Um, it's been kind of up and down with that. But more importantly, for really the first time in his career, he's keeping the ball in the yard. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that makes a huge difference, uh, particularly when you're looking at FIP, too. So it's not a surprise that he kind of has that extra boost in there. But, I mean, he's having a good year, for sure. I just, I'm surprised that... Um, he was deemed one of the was it seven starting pitchers they took one of the seven best yep. uh, pitchers in the American League. That, that that was just a bit of a surprise to me. Yeah, and it's not a huge stretch. I mean, when you when you do sort the American League starting pitchers by uh, ERA plus, which is a, a very similar uh, metric to ERA minus that Fangraphs uses, um, he's right there in the mix, like in the top ten to fifteen guys. In the league, not far off the guys who are in the top 10. Um, and, uh, you know, like you said, Keaton, I mean, the nice thing about Eovaldi is that he plays for a good team. He's already won nine games. Uh, league leaders are 10 games won. No one has more than 10 wins at this point. So maybe that factored into it a little bit. And the fact that he works deep into games because he is so efficient, um, doesn't walk anybody. I, I think that's kind of huge, too. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. Um, he's certainly having a good season. It was it was just came as a bit of a surprise to me to see that he made the All Star. I think this is the first time he's he's made the All Star team. So good for him. Yeah, it is the first time. Um, I was gonna move this to later in the show, but I think because we're on it right now, I think we should probably just talk about it. So um, my friend Nick um, brought something up that I thought was kind of interesting, and he said that. Um, you know, Dombrowski looks pretty good right now for trading Jalen Beeks for Nathan Eovaldi and giving him the deal that he did. So looking back at that deal now, the $17 million per, uh, he is under control for next year as well. You know, it was at the, at the time it was looked like it looked like a little bit of an overpay uh, for a guy that had never really put it together for a full season. Looking back on it now, is it still an overpay? Or do we do we like that deal? Um, no, I mean looking back, it, it looks pretty good. Uh, what's the? It's think it's the the typical ballpark is like eight million per WAR is right. is what kind of value flushes out to. And right now, well, I guess well, I guess depending on where you look, um, I just have Fangraphs in front of me, so I'm looking at three point two, and so that would be like twenty six million dollars. Uh, for his season so far this year, which obviously he's making a lot less than that. Um, but he's kind of making up for uh, the previous seasons where, I mean, I guess last year there wasn't really a full season, so I don't really know. I mean, he was still, he was positive. I think he was on pace for around three war for an entire, like uh, a normal 162 game season with what he was doing last year. So again, like he would have been, um, you know, exceeding what he was getting paid the first year was just really really bad just god awful and it was kind of coupled with um that money 
Sale's massive contract and Sale had had, um, you know, a couple seasons where he petered out at the end of the year, obviously finished the 2018 season in the bullpen um, when they won the, the title. And then they were all like way over the luxury tax at the time. So it kind of just made it feel worse. But now two years later, um, it certainly looks like market value for what you would get uh, for a pitcher of his caliber or even kind of better, uh, particularly with like the guys that we saw this offseason get like the 10 to $12 million deals like Richards. And I think um, Odorizzi was also one of those guys. Yep. Guys and, like Drew Smiley as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and guys that are really kind of struggling to just meet those levels. And then he's significantly outperforming them, um, which you would expect for his level. So I think we, it's impossible not to kind of have knee jerk reactions to things like that, particularly when like he was signed for four years, probably should just kind of judge it when we get to that point. Uh, but in the moment, there was nothing to suggest that he was ever going to pitch a full season again. <laughs> so right. I can understand uh, why it was so difficult. I mean, he basically made that contract pitching out of the bullpen through the playoffs. So, yeah, um, yeah, it was weird to give a guy that either looked like a uh, like super util reliever or a guy that would never hit 100 innings again starter money. Uh, but now, I mean, it's really looking at, like, discount starter money. So, uh, given the landscape of the league and how it's performing. So, yeah, it does. It does look good. But it's also coupled with where the Red Sox are now, right? Like, the financial right. situation situation is better there in first place. Like, if they were still strapped for cash and were fourth in the division or even fifth in the division like they were last year, I think we'd still be kind of pissed off about it. Yeah, I think context is everything here. And, you know, I, I don't know a single person that – wasn't okay with giving up Jalen Beeks to go out and get uh, Anthony Evaldi. There's nothing against Jalen Beeks. He's been a nice player for Tampa Bay um, before he got the surgery. Um, But, you know, even if you didn't re-sign Evaldi, it was worth it to trade uh, Jalen Beeks just for that stretch run and what he did in the playoffs in 18. Um, And I don't think anybody would argue otherwise, but, you know, the the controversy and the issue that I had with this was actually – you know, signing Eovaldi during the point where there was still uh, a Mookie Betts contract to be signed and a Xander Bogart's contract to be signed. So it it just felt reckless in lieu of those two things not being figured out yet. Um, But like looking at it right now with with Betts gone, um, yeah, totally fine. Totally fine with this contract. Um, But it was a pretty calculated gamble. that on Dombrowski's part that like, Hey, I believe in this guy's stuff. I'm going to pay him this and hope that he continues to evolve as a pitcher. Um, and we are seeing guys in their late twenties and early thirties really be in their pitching primes. You know, guys who we've already talked about on this podcast, Zach Wheeler, Jacob deGrom, uh, they are having the best seasons of their careers in their early thirties. Um, so it's, it's definitely something that we're seeing more, uh, these days and you know it's not like Nathan Eovaldi has lost anything on his stuff uh, from his 20s he's just simply a smarter pitcher uh, at this point and and more healthy he's kind of figured himself out so yeah I, I really am totally fine with the idea of paying pitchers into their 30s and it's another reason why I remain pretty confident in Chris Sale coming back as well yeah definitely 
and it's also like seventeen million dollars for a starting pitcher that you're you're getting what Evaldi's giving you is certainly a discount, but it's also it's not a long term investment. It was four years at the time where we're sitting now, we just have a year and a half left. And then at that point there should be either a free agent signed this offseason or someone from within the organization is ready to uh, step up and fill his shoes. It wasn't like the Wheeler contract, which I think was like 10 years, right? It was a massive investment for him. I don't know if it was quite 10, but it was it was a multi-year investment. It was big. Yeah, much much larger than just four years. So yeah. for what we expected to get out of uh, what a four-year, $17 million a year pitcher um i think he's he's for the majority of these three years has pitched better than that yeah i would agree i would agree um a couple more notes on the all-star selections here before we move on uh blue jays and astros were both second or blue jays astros and padres were both all second place uh with four players each uh from those particular teams um tristan casas is going to be playing at the olympics for team usa uh, and Jaron Durand, and I just wrote on the sheet here, eyes emoji, because I couldn't <laughs> do that in, in Microsoft Word, um, is not playing in the Olympics. That was interesting. Keaton, I know that piqued your interest. I sure did. Um, I mean, the immediate reaction was like, oh, he's being called up right now. And then I think after the dust settled, and there's a few people that reported that um, the Red Sox would have been fine with uh, Duran going over to Japan. Um, but they felt like at some point they were probably going to call him oh, call him back. So he wouldn't have finished the Olympics with the team. So the team decided not to uh, have him on the roster at all, which probably makes sense. Um, he was a key figure in the qualifying rounds. Um, and so if you just if he was on the roster and taking up a roster spot, um, and then wasn't able to finish the competition at all with the team, um, that would probably have been more negative for the team in the Olympics. Um, and him. And, yeah, and probably, you're right, for him himself. So it was really just the uh, the flexibility of being able to call him up. But that basically means, or how I'm choosing to read it, is he's being called up very soon. Yeah. Because the Olympics were uh, a month from today, as we're recording this, August 5th would have been when they wrapped up. So to me, that says the Red Sox figured they're calling him up before then. So, any time now, right? Yeah, I'm kind of surprised it didn't happen um, for this West Coast swing because that's typically when these call-ups have happened in the past. Um, but, yeah, I, I think uh, it's it's clear he is in the team's very near future plans. Um, another one of the Red Sox top prospects who is uh, on the cusp here, Jeter Downs, uh, got the nod to play for the American League in the Futures game as well. He's not having the best season, but still a pretty cool honor uh, for Jeter Downs to be chosen in that game. It's just stacked with talent. Yeah. It's a fun team. Yeah, it is. That's one of the best events, I think, of um, of the All-Star Weekend. I, I would almost rank it... Um, I would almost rank the Futures game first, Home Run Derby second, just because I love to... to watch bombs go out of the yard and be a little kid again. Um, and then the all-star game third, almost. <laughs> I don't know. How, how would you rank those three events? 
Yeah, I think it's pretty close between the Futures game and the Home Run Derby. Although I'm annoyed that the Futures game is seven innings. It's really dumb. Just let it go nine. What's the harm? But anyway, uh, yeah, I'm just as interested in that. And, I mean, there has been some incredible performances, too. Like, I remember, um, was it Lubob made a wild diving catch over the fence in left, and Taylor Trammell, like, almost hit for the cycle. Yeah. Um, and yeah, Sam Hoff had that huge home run. Yeah. Last year. Uh, Joey Gallo took, was it Giolito, I think, deep on a curveball and hit a truck. <laughs> that was in right field in the Futures game. It is it is just as exciting as the All-Star game because it's all of the best prospects in all of baseball in one place. You don't get that anywhere else. Yeah. And there's been some just incredibly awesome performances. And they mic those kids up just like they do with the regular All-Star game. Like I remember when uh, Trammell came around, I think got his triple and then ended up scoring a run right after that. He was mic'd up for the whole thing and he was chirping as he's around the bases. And it was great to hear. Yeah, uh, the the futures game is just the best because those kids haven't haven't uh, proven themselves yet either, so they're extra hungry, uh, which is always nice to see and like all those fun moments. It's just great. Um, all right, so let's get to some observations um, from the winning streak. Uh, first of all, I want to start off with Nick Pavetta, a guy who his confidence seems to be growing uh, by the day. Um, He's using his fastball extremely effectively these days. Um, in the curveball of his, I am going to go out on a limb here and say that when it's on, his curveball is the best pitch that anybody on the Red Sox pitching staff has. Agree or disagree? I agree if you're excluding Garrett Richards' sticky curveball. <laughs> Okay, I am excluding Garrett Richards' sticky curveball because it doesn't exist right now. <laughs> then yes, I agree. Yeah. Um, that thing is filthy, man. Uh, so watching his last start um, this past, what was it, like two days ago, I guess, as, as we're listening, as you guys are listening to this, the feel that he had for that thing, the, the ability that he had to snap that pitch off and drop it in for a strike and induce swing and misses on it, it was crazy. It felt like almost every strikeout that he got was on that pitch. There were a couple where it was on his fastball where, you know, guys were looking for that curveball and he just dotted like a 95 to 97 mile an hour fastball. Um, but man, that thing is just, I don't know how you can hit it. it it's like it's Kershaw-esque when that thing is on and when he has feel for it. It is. I mean, I think he had five strikeouts in a row. Uh, on that pitch, yes, right? Just on that pitch alone. It was... yeah. Absurd. No one could touch it. Yeah. Uh, it's just amazing. Um, I love the fact that Nick Pavetta has had two of his better starts since this crackdown, too. Clearly a guy True. who's not reliant on sticky stuff to be effective. I mean, he's he's a fairly old-school pitcher in terms of he gets the ball, he throws it, he pitches with pace, which I love about him. Um, the fastball is a very good offering for him. It's not you know, one of the better fastballs, but like, you know, you have to look for it. It's, it's going to be between 93 and 97, usually around 95. Uh, and then he also has that slider that he can drop in to give you a different look from the curveball. And on days when he's not feeling that curveball, you know, you're going to see a steady diet of sliders. You're not really going to see any off, uh, off speed stuff from him. It's really just, uh, or I should say, 
yeah, you're not you're you're just gonna see breaking pitches pretty much. And he's continued to get better, which is what has impressed me the most. Like something that Shelley and I noted, uh, and why we were still on the fence through the first like month and a half of the season or so was he had never really struggled with walks, but he was having real trouble with them in the beginning of the season. That has settled yeah. down completely now. He had a uh, walk per nine of six through the first month and a half. And then through the rest of May, it was 2.98, 3.98 in June, 2.57 so far in July. And his strikeouts have continued to go up through the first month and a half. It was 8.77. Then in May, it was 10.93. June, 11.37. And July, 12.86. So he's racking up more strikeouts and walking less and less guys every month. And he's just getting better and better and better. That's the most impressive thing to me because he wasn't someone that I was really bought into. He had a nice, it was it was a less like two starts at the end of 2020. And we kind of got a glimpse like, whoa, if this is actually what he can pitch, maybe this is going to be huge because there's no sale and Erod didn't pitch. So we're going to need someone in, this, in the rotation to step up. Uh, and it's been him. He's been great. Yeah. And, and I think that all of that that you described, Keaton, is that confidence that we've seen growing in him. Uh, over time, I mean, I, I think anybody would lack for confidence coming out of that situation that he had in Philly, where he was a top prospect, you know, who was expected to do great things. And then they basically told him how to throw his fastball in a way that he wasn't comfortable with. And he comes to Boston as like a broken pitcher. Um, and he has to rebuild himself and his confidence. And I think that you know, that that crew, that clubhouse environment that they have between the starting pitchers uh, and their relationship with, with Bush and w- with Cora, uh, I think every time that Pavetta goes out and takes that ball, he's starting to believe more and more in his stuff. Um, and it's just, you can see it. And like you said, those numbers that you just read, those tell the whole story to me in terms of his confidence growing. Because it's not like this stuff is different. It's just how he deploys it and the amount that he believes in it. Yep. That's exactly it. And he's, yep. he's turned me, man. Now I believe too. Yeah, me too. Me too. Well, speaking of a guy who's really turned it around, um, my next note from this winning streak is about Eduardo Rodriguez. Um, I did not see this one coming uh, at all, but his last two starts have been his best two starts uh, since April. And he looks poised to have an awesome second half of the season. And in fact, according to Fangraphs, over his last 30 days, he is tied with Nathan Eovaldi for the team lead in war for starting pitchers. Um, wow. I think this one surprises me more than the fact that Nick Pavetta uh, has continued to get better because Eduardo Rodriguez looked god-awful for a, a pretty large chunk of time, like six starts in a row. Yeah, uh, 7.28 ERA in May, 6.23 in June, and that together was about 50 innings, 54 innings. That is a significant chunk of his season. (laughs) Yeah. So that it's – we really didn't see much. Like there wasn't something that clicked that we saw, oh, that's why he's struggling. It was just everything fell apart. I mean, when that happens, it like you don't really know what to pinpoint as like a, well, if he works on this, then things will start to kind of write themselves. When everything is going wrong, it's kind of like, uh, well, shit, just you got to fix everything. 
<laughs> yeah, and, and you're right. That it was really hard to pinpoint because you you'd pull up a a map of you know what he threw and what his RPMs looked like on different pitches um, from start to start, and it was just like it was like a Jackson Pollock. It was like okay, there is no rhyme or reason to this. Uh, I have no idea why his fastball would you know gain a bunch of RPMs and dip RPMs, and he'd throw different things at different times. It was like it didn't make any sense at all. So it was really difficult to figure out what the hell was going on with him. Yeah, it was. I mean, now it that I mean, this is kind of like that timing, right? Like Pavetta right now is on just an awesome run. Getting involved, the um, you know, being an all star and him having again, like he had a couple starts where he struggled a bit uh, recently too. It was kind of like everybody struggled at the same time, and they had that um, where they they stumbled. Um, right when they were about to overtake Tampa Bay in the standings a couple weeks ago. Um, but having uh, Evaldi right the ship, Eduardo Rodriguez have two right in a row, and then knowing that we are so close to having Chris Sale back, I think rounds out this rotation that has significantly outplayed any of my expectations that I have for the entire rotation all put together. Um. I made a big reason why they've gotten. I mean, I, I know we, we we have to another topic later to get to the bullpen, which has also been a big piece of it. But um, there wasn't much that changed in the rotation from last year to this year, with the exception of Erod coming back. We knew that we were going to be without Sale for the majority of the season. Obviously, didn't have him last year, and uh, Erod was really kind of the difference. And he was doing terrible. And everybody else was actually doing well, and that was kind of what was leading the Red Sox to get to this point. So it it's really good to see Eduardo Ruiz getting his stuff back together. And, again, kind of like you pointed out, like um, the spin rate thing with Pavetta, um, he hasn't really seen much of a change at all, and he's he's had his best starts since then. Uh, well, same with Eduardo Rodriguez. Like his last two starts were the best starts that he's had, and that came after that crackdown. So it's good to see the guys that we – uh, not necessarily that Pavetta we expected, but like Evaldi and Erod, the guys that we expected to carry this team, not be super uh, hit by that. Yeah. And putting together their best runs of the season now right on the horizon of Chris Sale returning. Absolutely. It's a, it's a great feeling to have, to feel really good about three of those guys in the rotation with Chris Sale on his way back. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Um, conversely, though, playing off of what you just talked about, guys who have been hit by this, 
Uh, Garrett Richards, as as we know, and this is something we've talked about a bunch of times here, um, he continues to struggle to find his old form. And um, our old friend or current friend, uh, Jordan Rosenblum over at the Dynasty Guru, um, compiled the starting pitchers who have been hit most by a decline in RPMs and mile per hour units um, since the crackdown on sticky stuff. And Garrett Richards ranked third on that list. Right now, it feels to me like he is a fringe starter uh, in in baseball. It feels kind of like he needs to have great location almost to succeed because his stuff is just so much worse uh, than it was when he had that sticky stuff to help him. He feels like the guy that's going to be replaced when Chris Sale comes back. Is Is that how it feels to you? Um, yes, that's how it feels to me, but I don't think he's a fringe starter. So his last outing was five innings and two runs, which is what we've been praising Martin Perez for all season long. Uh, I understand that the expectations were different because Garrett Richards actually had like a history of being a really good pitcher. Uh, He also had three walks and two strikeouts, and this was the exact same line that Martin Perez had in a start in April. Um, five innings pitched, two runs, three walks, two strikeouts. So I guess the the difference, though, is that Martin Perez has been going five innings and allowing two runs the entire year pretty consistently uh, to where it really seemed like Richards had to struggle to get to this point. Right. So while I think if Richards is going to stay in the rotation, and I mean, to be honest, he actually he might. He's making enough money that like, I don't know if it makes sense to move him to the bullpen. Um, although, but I, I mean, I guess I don't know what he... Matt Andrews doesn't need to be there anymore either. So no, he does maybe not. you could just kind of swap those out and then <laughs> slot sale in there. But yeah, I think it's the... Even though they're, they're performing the same, it, it's, it's how much you're paying them, what the expectations were. Like uh, five innings pitch and two runs is really great for Martin Perez, who has uh, over the last three years had like an ERA of six. So right. for him to do that, that's really good. Garrett Richards over the last three years when he's on the mound has like a two and a half ERA. So this is significantly worse. So uh, the expectations piece to me, it's like if he can't actually adjust to this new, I mean, I don't know if we're calling this like the the new way of life or like the new now or the new reality. Call it. The reality, yeah. I mean, the reality yeah. is it, this is what he's going to have to pitch to. So if he can't do it, then yeah, he shouldn't be given – um, you know, a significant run here, but his uh, ERA in July at least is better. It's three point six, so it could be worse. Yeah, you're still more optimistic than me about Garrett Richards. I just see this guy who's like a complete head case with uh, not being able to go out there and blow the ball by people. You know that you you described something really interesting, like those lines. That is a Martin Perez esque line, like you said, the walks. Just a couple strikeouts there, not overpowering stuff. But I feel like both of those guys throw that same line. And Martin Perez goes home and he's like, oh, I did pretty good today. Yeah, he's pretty and, happy with himself. <laughs> yeah, and Garrett Richards is like, what the hell's wrong with me? Um, and, and that is not okay. Um, and I think that that's why you're going to see more blow-ups from Garrett Richards is because he's just not used to pitching this way, you know? He's used to dialing up a fastball with crazy high RPMs and blowing people away or having a slider with wicked bite. And uh, 
you know, I don't know. Maybe he proves me wrong. And maybe he's like, you know what? I am a professional baseball player who succeeded at a high level. I'm going to figure this out. And uh, you know what? Even with without my spider attack, I'm going to be better than Martin Perez. Maybe. But I just don't know. It's a mental game. Yeah. And so this is <laughs> this is the hilarity of it. So it's April 13th. Uh, Martin Perez, five innings, four hits, two runs, two hit batsmen, three walk, two strikeouts. Garrett Richards here, um, July 3rd, five innings, five hits, two runs, one hit batsman, three walks, two strikeouts. The lines are basically identical, except Garrett Richards gave up one more hit and Martin Perez hit one more batter. (laughs) Yeah. Exact same results. Pretty interesting. It is. It's going to be interesting to see how this whole thing shakes out. Do you think there's any chance they run with a six-man rotation because of the off- you know, season last year, the shortened season last year, I should say, everybody kind of eclipsing their innings totals. Any chance they run with that and, you know, six-man rotation it for a while? Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me at all. I would yeah. kind of be fine with that because I think, I think it, I mean, for like, I clearly believe a little bit more in Garrett Richards than you do, which I don't think is a surprise to anyone listening. Um, but I think it's hard to pinpoint, like, what his role would be outside of the rotation like martin perez and nick pivetta have both pitched in the bullpen before that makes sense garrett richards not really um but garrett richards nathan Avaldi, um and i think pivetta too to to an extent is are coming up on like the most innings that they've pitched in like five years um chris sales coming back from tommy john eduardo rodriguez didn't pitch at all last year Right. So a six-man rotation actually makes like a ton of sense for the guys that they're working with. Yeah, I, I think so too. The only issue I have with it is it takes away from, you know, uh, starts that, that Pavetta or Erod or Eovaldi could have. You're not getting to them quite as quick as you would be able to. So well, that I'm only not matters. sure if that's worth it. I mean, that only becomes an issue if Garrett Richards can't pitch, right? If he's... Uh, giving them a chance to win every night, then you're not really missing out on anything, right? It's true. It's true. I guess uh, it all comes down to how you feel about Mr. Richards. Great. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, let's talk about maybe the single biggest factor uh, as to why this team is where it is right now. Um, I think we all expected the offense to be good. Uh, We expected the starting pitching to be bad, but we also expected the bullpen to be bad. Um, and I think our expectations for the bullpen might have been lower than our expectations for the starting pitching at the beginning of the year, but this unit has been rock solid. Um, the six guys uh, that have been pretty much elite for the entire season in this bullpen have been Matt Barnes, Adam Adovino, Josh Taylor, I can't believe I'm saying that, Hirokazu <laughs> Sawamura, Garrett Whitlock, and Darwinson Hernandez. Here is how they rank in the American League. They are third in case per nine, second in home runs per nine. That's a huge stat for them. 11th in walks per nine. They still walk way too many people. Thank you, Darwin's and Hernandez. Um, fourth in fastball velocity, which is interesting because this has been a trait where successful bullpens have sort of been marked by velocity in the last few years in baseball. They're fifth in Fangraph's war and second in ERA minus. Uh, aside from the walks, Keaton, this is a frankly a dominant unit in the bullpen yeah it is not what i expected at all i mean we spent a lot of time focused on the bullpen because 
again, I think our expectations for the starting pitching were low, knowing what we were dealing with coming into the season. Um, we knew what we were dealing with in the bullpen, and it was trash. And they made, I mean, Ottavino was really the 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 largest move that they made. I mean, Whitlock was a Rule Five guy. Uh, we had no expectations for him. Saramura, we had a lot of hope for, but um, was making the transition from Japan, and that doesn't always go well. So we didn't really know what we were going to get out of him. Uh, and even though they had made the deal for Ottavino, um, Ottavino was second to Matt Barnes in blown saves over the past three years in the American League. So it didn't even feel like that big of a splash when they brought him on. And then Barnes, I mean, his struggles and walks have been well documented in his time here with the Red Sox as well. And Darwin's and we were just kind of like waiting for him to take that jump to elite, um, which I, I still don't think he's quite there, but he's certainly been a getting bit more. Better. Yeah, he's getting better. And he's been more consistent lately, which is really his biggest issue. Yeah. Um, and so it's basically all of the question marks and low expectations that we had have just been blown completely out of the water. Uh, and guys that we didn't think we were going to get anything from, like Whitlock uh, and uh, to an extent, or Josh Taylor, I didn't think we were going to get anything out of him, uh, are like two of the best relievers in the American League, not only just with the Red Sox. It's wild. Yeah, I think um, surprisingly enough, my comfort level is actually higher with Whitlock and Taylor than anyone else. Um, I still feel on edge with the Matt Barnes experiment. <laughs> um, and it's crazy to say, I mean, he's an all-star. The numbers back it up. He deserves it. He's been the best reliever in all of baseball by strikeouts minus walks, which is crazy because Matt Barnes used to walk everybody when he didn't trust <laughs> his fastball. But it still feels like it's always a full count. Uh, with Matt Barnes. It's, it's always a little bit scary, but with Josh Taylor pitching as well as he has over the last really two months, two full months plus, um, you know, I feel like just, all right, he's in the game. Everything's going to be fine. Whitlock, same thing. It feels like whenever he's he's got himself into a situation where he absolutely needs an out, even if there's runners in scoring position, uh, Whitlock is able to get those key outs. Um, Darwinson is probably the guy I trust the least out of this grouping. Um, I probably rank it for me personally. Uh, Whitlock, Taylor, Ottavino, Barnes, Salomora, Darwinson, Hernandez in terms of like how calm my heart rate is when these guys are in the game. Yeah, I, I think I'm probably there with you. I still feel like so we saw uh, or have seen before that. Barnes in particular, and this was kind of why he, he really struggled with the closer role before, but like when he's called on back-to-back nights or like two out of three or three out of, you know, five or so, um, he just gets worn down real easy. Yeah. And we've seen that as the season has gone on so far this year. He started off um, just at an absurd rate in March and April, 25 strikeouts in 14 innings. May, it was 16 and 10 innings. Uh, it went up a little bit. I mean, it was 18 in 18 strikeouts in June and 11 innings. So there's the extra inning and three ba- extra three batters faced. And then so far in July, uh, only three strikeouts in two innings, um, which isn't bad. But for his current or his previous pace, uh, it's actually kind of like well below it, uh, the way that he was going. And then he's given up a run in those two innings. So his ERA looks a bit out of place, but in two innings, so, so it's kind of going to happen. So... It's, I think, something to keep an eye on. But we have guys in the bullpen now, like, uh, you know, specifically you talked about Taylor and Whitlock, 
um, as guys that if we need to give Barnes a night off, we have options. And we don't feel like we're, you know, playing with the baseball gods, throwing somebody else out there. Uh, if we have one-run game in the ninth and Barnes has pitched the previous two days, throw Josh Taylor out there, I feel good about it. I still feel like this bullpen is one good reliever acquisition away from me feeling like it's a championship-level bullpen. Um, and I think part of that is because of the up-and-down nature that some of these guys have had throughout their careers with walks especially. You know, Barnes and Ottavino have had problems with walks. Uh, Darwinson has had problems with walks. Sawmore and Whitlock are doing this for the first time. Um I feel like, you know, if you replace Yaxel Rios or Brandon Workman or Matt Andrees with one other really solid veteran reliever, maybe one of those four guys we pointed out on last week's podcast, I, I don't know if there's a, a bullpen I'd take over them in, in all of baseball at that point. I think I'm with you. If it wasn't one of those guys that we talked about or I mean, some other high leverage reliever from uh, another team, if... Uh, Tanner Houck is in that situation. How would you feel about the bullpen then? I think really good. Um, I think his slider would be his slider fastball combo is tailor made for a late inning role. Um, and I think the team would be smart to inject that into their the into that group um, to save some of those guys because you know it is worth noting um, Barnes Ottavino. And Whitlock have been used a lot already. Yep. Um, so, yeah, keeping those guys fresh for the stretch run is huge. And I, I think it would be very smart for them to utilize Hulk in that role. Even if they do move him back to a starter's role um, down the stretch, I, I think it, it's – I mean, if what's what's wrong with using him in the Whitlock role or the early season Whitlock role? You know, mul- a multiple inning fireman type role. I think that would be great for him. Yeah, and I think – um, it was friend of the pod, Ian Kundal, who pointed out um, today or yesterday that uh, how Hauk has been used um, in Worcester kind of lines up with him being called up at the start of the second half um, mm. when the All-Star break ends. And that makes all the sense in the world to me to have him on the roster at that point. And then I've been done with Matt Andrees for some time. So <laughs> we're good. Yeah, I'm with you there. Um, I'm glad you brought up Ian Cundell, though, because that reminded me that um, another Red Sox player was actually added to the AL Futures game, uh, Brian Bayo, uh, who is just having a, a tremendous season as a pitcher um, in the Red Sox system. He was added. I can't remember who was scratched that, that uh, caused him to be added, but uh, he is also added. So, oh, there's also there. um, not that this has any... Uh, impact on the bullpen, but uh, Arroyo was activated from the IL and Chavis was optioned right as we started recording. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Um, I wanted to share with you one more cool stat before we ended up uh, wrapping up our, our talk about this bullpen here. Um, Ian Brown, who, who does a great newsletter, uh, he's the MLB reporter for uh, MLB.com for the Red Sox. Um, he pointed out that in an eight-game stretch that started on June 22nd at Tampa Bay, uh, Boston relievers posted a 1.16 ERA, allowing just four runs in 31 innings. That is wild, man. 
that is not a stretch I ever would have predicted from this bullpen. No. And in 31 innings, like, looking at the games and the opponents that they played during that time, those were really important innings. Yeah, I mean, Martin Perez, um, his last start, um, or two starts ago, only lasted like three and a third. That was a lot of innings from the bullpen, and they didn't allow a run the rest of the game. Yeah. Big, it's a really nice – it's it's a nice mix of guys who can go multiple innings and guys who are just absolutely locked down for one innings at a time. So well done uh, to Heim Bloom and those players and the management of that bullpen. Like you said, Cord's fingerprints all over that thing with how he's managed it. I, I don't think we could ask for anything better. No. All right, so we are finally going to get to the point in the show where we are going to be a little bit critical of the Red Sox. There's not much to criticize when your team is uh, the best team in the American League, but um, one of the things that you can criticize is the back half of the offense. So after Verdugo, J.D. Martinez, Xander Bogarts, Rafael Devers, and I think it's fair to include Hunter Renfro in that now. Sure is. um, (laughs) <laughs> definitely that's your boy um they are they are second in run scored in the majors behind only houston um so they don't have a problem scoring runs however the back end of the lineup has been blah i was talking to our friend shelly Verstrait about this and she just used the puke emoji uh when talking about the uh back end of this uh offense and that's fair uh so we're gonna go through these individual guys a little bit um Kike, I want to talk about Kike here. Um, Kike is back to being the leadoff hitter. And I think that that is a really good thing uh, for him. I think we, we're on record as both being people who prefer uh, Jaron Duran as the leadoff hitter when he gets called up. Um, but I definitely prefer Kike uh, to the uh, the clown show that they were running out while (laughs) Kike was not being used at that position. Um, I have a stat here that I pulled up that I just wanted to to read. This was from an athletic article. Uh, It said when they they went to this rotating group of Danny Santana, Arroyo, Marwin, Chavis uh, in that leadoff spot, uh, the WRC plus from that was 18. 18 WRC plus. So all of a sudden that had uh, Kike's like 80 to 100 WRC plus from that spot looking like it was uh, world beating in terms of of how good that was. Um, Kike, when batting first, has nine of his 10 home runs. Um, his slash line when batting first is 249, 319, uh, 445. Uh, not super impressive. One weird fact about Kike that I found out today that I did not know, um, when he starts games at second base and he started 16 games there, he has a 156 WRC+. plus. When he starts games at center field, he has an 85 WRC+, plus over 53 games. Not sure if that's small sample size noise or if it takes a lot less mental energy for him to play in the infield, but I think that that's something worth monitoring as we approach the trade deadline. Yeah, um, that probably is. I think, um, yeah, I mean, hopefully we just don't have to talk about the leadoff spot for all that much longer because we have been talking about it on every single episode of this podcast. Yeah. Um, but I think it's it hasn't been, like, we talk about it being a much larger issue than it actually is because you pointed out 
So the one team in the American League has scored more runs. So it doesn't really matter if the guy hitting first gets on base or not. They've been scoring runs at a pretty prolific rate with those guys two through six. Yeah, so, and the defense is great from Kike wherever he plays. Right. Yeah. So I think it just instinctively is annoying to have a guy who's like have has like a three hundred or just right around three hundred on base percentage as the guy leading off. But I think um, yeah, this is one of those score one for the analytics guys. As it doesn't really matter. It's just the first step out of the game and whatever. Because it's not holding the Red Sox back from scoring runs at all, having whoever hit there. And yeah. riding the hot hot uh, streak that Kike Hernandez is on right now, um, where he's got, like, what, five home runs in the past eight days or whatever it is? Mm-hmm. Something absurd like that. Um, I don't think you can think about making a move right now because you got to ride this out. No, he's clearly the best option until Jaron Duran comes comes up or someone else uh, gets added to this roster. So I think you just let him let him stay there. Uh, he has been better from the eighth spot, but again, that's a very small sample size. So I don't think we really care about that. I, I will ask you though, Keaton, um, one of the things I was looking forward to most for this year was seeing Kike play second base. And in the looks that we have gotten from Kike at second base, we've seen some pretty spectacular defensive plays um, I know Marwin's a good glove there too, but like, do you have a preference as to where Kike plays in a perfect world? Would you prefer him at second or center field? Yeah, in a perfect world, it would be at second, and then Verdugo, Renfro, and Duran would be the outfield. That sounds like a wonderful lineup to me. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I, I like that a lot better. Uh, and hopefully, once Duran comes up, Kike can be the full-time second baseman. As he was signed to be. Um, and looks pretty spectacular when he's there. All right, the other bat that's been struggling, there's a couple more that we're going to talk about. Christian Vasquez. Uh, he's been struggling versus lefties this year. He's got just a 27 uh, WRC plus against lefties versus a 97 uh, versus righties. Over the course of his career, though, it's been 89 versus lefties and 79 versus righties. Uh, anything to be concerned about here? Um. I would say yes, if the Red Sox weren't getting what they're getting from two through six in the lineup now. Uh, and also, catcher was one position where the offense is really just kind of gravy. Yeah. Like, he's there for his defense, his ability to call a game. And he's still great at that. Exactly. Yeah. And he's the guy that you want in that situation. Although, this uh, Evaldi Connor Wong relationship, I don't think that can be denied. <laughs> But um, I'm not sure if that's a permanent thing or not. So we'll just kind of table that. But, yeah, Vasquez is still the guy to call the games. And whatever he gets offensively, I mean, we've talked him up because of how good offensively he has been on top of his um, ability to, to call a game and throw runners out. And then all of a sudden this year, steal bases? <laughs> sure, why not? Yeah. Uh, so I would be more concerned if he was at a position where you were relying on him more offensively, but you're not. Um He's certainly in a slump. I expect him to be able to bounce back because he's shown uh, more often than not to be one of the better hitting catchers in the game as well as defensively. Um, So it's a bummer to see uh, because we know he can be better, but I also expect him to be better. And um, you're not relying on him to score runs because of what you're getting from the rest of the lineup. So 
no, I'm not concerned. Um, I think if it continues to drag out like another month and he's still declining, uh, I'd start to get a little bit more concerned. But um, even if he does, you know, continue to decline for another month, it's not going to be taken off. Um, I mean, maybe you're giving Plucky one more start a week, but I still think he's the best option defensively and offensively at catcher on this roster. Yeah, I think at this point, Christian could have a 27 WRC plus overall, and I'd still feel comfortable rolling him out there every day um, just because of, of how well he handles the staff and everything. And he was one of the guys that benefited from the bouncy ball that the league was using for, for a few of those years. So it makes sense that we have seen a little bit of a drop off from him. Hopefully that'll stabilize a little bit. Um, Danny Santana, though, 44 WRC plus. Posted a 40 WRC plus last year. Aside from his 111 in 2019, he's been awful. Um, this is clearly the guy who is going to be cut when Duran comes up, right? Yep. Yeah. For right. sure. I mean, we talked about him, you know, when they made the signing at the beginning of the season, or the offseason, we talked about how if he could regain even like 80% of what he did in 2019. 2019 was spectacular. So if he could regain like even 80%, then we had a really strong player on the team. The rest of his career, though, and a much larger sample size with that, he's actually not very good at baseball. Nope. Um, but the Red Sox got him for basically nothing. So if it didn't work out, they could cut ties with him, and it would be no loss. Uh, and that's exactly where we're at. Hey, maybe he can go into bodybuilding afterwards, because uh, as Ellis Burks was pointing out on the broadcast yesterday, dude is built. So um, he can still do something after baseball. Bobby hey, Dahlbeck. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say him and Franchi. Oh, yeah. Yoked. Franchi might still have some baseball left in him. We're not sure yet. We're still trying to figure that one out. Sure hope so. Uh, Bobby Dahlbeck, speaking of guys who are built, uh, Bobby Dahlbeck has a 114 WRC plus versus lefties this year, only 62 versus righties. Um, that has not been getting a whole lot better lately, um, even though he's been a little bit hotter. Uh, it makes sense here to pick up a righty masher at the deadline to platoon with Dahlbeck, in my opinion. He does have five home runs against each handedness, but um, that seems to be one of the more glaring needs to me at this point. Um, I don't know about glaring. I Well, I guess if we're nitpicking, you're right. This is the nitpick section. So, yeah, I agree. <laughs> All right. Um, Michael Chavis uh, still cannot touch a major league fastball. Uh, opposing pitchers know it. That's pretty much all they are throwing him. Uh, thankfully, he was uh, optioned today with Christian Arroyo being activated. He's striking out 36.1% of the time and walking just 1.6% of the time. Adds nothing defensively. Uh, I am calling it on Michael Chavis. It's not like I had high expectations for him. You know I'm the low guy on him, but I don't think that he has any value. Any value? I mean, he can play like five positions. Not well. But he can play them. I mean, I can play five <laughs> positions too. It doesn't mean I'm good at it. I mean, he plays a fine first base. Eh. Not better than Dahlbeck. No. No, and that's kind of that would be a, a big block. It's not like he even has like solid platoon splits. It's just kind of not great. Uh, I think I'm with you though, but I think so. Do you even think? Because your hope was that he mashes in AAA and gets traded. Have um, you even given up on that? Kinda. I I just don't know if I. 
maybe he has some value to a team like um like Pittsburgh where you know the the person who drafted him is there and you know maybe they like him or maybe someone in Arizona old Sox crew has faith in what he can develop into but at this point you know the the fact that you can't hit a major league fastball to me is just that's the biggest flaw for a defensive tweener because he relies on his bat man he needs his bat to be good I don't see it happening for him it actually would be a bad thing for him to go to Pittsburgh because he, there's no competition there. Well, I mean, at second base, it's Adam Frazier, but he's there's no way he's going to stay on that team. No. Yeah, it, it's an interesting spot and one where we might actually be able to work out a trade. We'll get to that in just a moment here. Um, Marwin Gonzalez has also been awful at the plate, but he's been a true defensive uh, Swiss Army knife. He's played pretty much everywhere. 61 WRC+, plus, but he's been worth more outs above average than anybody. Uh, and um, he's hitting lefties better than righties as well. Uh, 109 WRC+, plus versus 44 versus righties. I'm okay with Marwin staying on the roster for the entire year as sort of a all-around defensive replacement for any any player who needs a day off or late inning situations. Yeah, I would agree with that. That is a perfect role for him. Yep, I agree. All right, so to sum it up here, if Jaron Duran can come up and replace Danny Santana, Red Sox can add a righty masher to split time with Dahlbeck at first base. We would have a bench of Marwin, Ploiecki when he comes back, Dahlbeck or the new guy, depending on who is starting, and Christian Arroyo, and we will jettison one of Andres Rios or Workman, I will feel a whole hell of a lot better about this team. How about you? I would, but I think we've got to toss two of those guys, right? Because uh, sales coming back. Well, sales coming back. So out of the that group of three, Andres, Rios, and Workman, add sale, add a platoon bat. Who are you tossing out of those, those three? Actually, you know what? I might do all three. Um, I think I'd rather have sale, Hauk, and new guy. 100% there with you. Yep, I'm there. I think that's the biggest need. And I also spent an inordinate amount of time today looking up uh, <laughs> guys that have been uh, very good uh, against uh, righties this year. And I found uh, five five really interesting guys, or actually six. Uh, Colin Moran for Pittsburgh. He's a left-handed bat. He's got a 126 WRC plus against righties. Mike Moustakis for Cincinnati. 123 WRC plus versus, uh, and he's a left-handed bat versus righties. Uh, Jesus Aguilar and Garrett Cooper both have a 115 WRC plus versus righties. They are right-handed bats though. Uh, Jonathan Scope for Detroit, 110 WRC plus, also a right-handed bat. And Carlos Santana uh, for KC, he's a switch hitter. He's got a 105 WRC plus uh, versus righties, but a very very high. Uh, on base percentage. Uh, I found all of those guys really interesting. I think Colin Moran was the one I was kind of most interested in, though, out of this crew. He's also kind of young, right? Isn't he like 27? Yeah, he still has a bunch of years of arbitration uh, left, so the the money is pretty reasonable on him. Chavis for Moran, who says no? They do. Yeah, they definitely would. I, I think we need to add some more stuff, but like that's not one of those names that I think is uh unattainable you know it's 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 one of those people that you could make a pretty uh not hurtful package uh to go get him yeah i think you could i like i mean i've been a fan of scope for a while i thought they should have gotten him 
Um, and we were talking about how to fill second base like two years ago, and Scope was a guy that I really wanted them to go get. Um, he's a good baseball player, and he's also not – he's like 28. He's not that old. Yeah, um, I I like um, I like the idea of getting a lefty like Moran or Mustakas a little bit more than I like getting a righty who hits lefties well, or a righty that hits righties well, I should say. Um, he just turned but, 29. So. But I'd be I'd be totally fine with scope, yeah, and especially with how hot he's been, uh, his his June was insane. Yeah, like 15 homers. Yeah, it was it was bananas. All not on my fantasy team. <laughs> All right, let's get to our, our last three listener questions here. Because... Oh, should we talk about um, Scooter Jeanette? I feel like this is the only year that we've never talked about Scooter Jeanette. Should we, we should we not keep talk the streak about alive? Scooter Jeanette? No. Let's not talk about Scooter Jeanette ever again. I need to erase him from my brain. It's finally time to put that to bed. It's it's time to put that to bed. I was wrong about Scooter Jeanette. Um, We are running way too long in this show to talk about Scooter Jeanette. Fair. All right. Uh, Mike has our first question. He says, when is Hauk going to take number 35 spot? Uh, He's referring to Matt Andrees. Uh, I mean, Keaton, you told us right after the All-Star break. So you, you sticking with so. that? I think yeah. so, yeah. All right. Love it. I think that's a fantastic idea. Uh, Sox Thoughts has our next question. He says, what would the rotation look like next year? My thought, Sale, Eovaldi, new signing, Nick Pavetta, Whitlock, and Seabold first up. Um, so he has Sale as the one, Eovaldi as the two, new signing number three, Pavetta the four, Whitlock as the five. Uh, I kind of agree with him because I don't want to bring back Perez, Richards, or Erod. Yeah, I I think the only way, um, and I think we talked about this on the last episode or two episodes ago, that unless they got uh, they were able to sign Erod to a discount because he's having a down year, a la Josh Beckett. Right. Um, I'm good with him taking a walk. So Sale and Ivaldi and Whitlock seem like for sure to me, or Pavetta, yeah. uh, and then add Whitlock and a new guy. That's probably right. Although I don't know if Seabold is first up for me because I still like Hauk as a starter. Yeah, I, I'm I'm torn between what they decide to do with Tanner Hauk uh, later in this year. If, if he looks amazing in that multi-inning relief role, um, I say leave him there. Um, and and Seabold does have more of a typical starter's repertoire, but I love, love, love the idea of Whitlock as a starting pitcher next year. I think he yeah. has a chance to pitch like a, a two or a three from that spot um, with what I've seen from his, his changeup and slider development too. It's kind of bananas how good he has been. Yeah. But we'll have a lot of the offseason. I, I also wouldn't feel terrible um, with Erod on some a short show-me deal um, instead of a new signing there. That'd be fine. Yeah, but I, I just, also, just because of all of the awesome free agents that are coming up, like I would just it'd be like that the excitement of having that shiny new thing in the rotation, which they haven't had in a while, basically since the sale trade. Yeah. That it's, you always feel really excited when they, they land a nice starting pitcher. Yep, but sometimes they turn into Garrett Richards. They sure do. Yep. Uh, Angel Rondon has our last question here. He says, who deserves more credit for the Red Sox' success, Heim Bloom or Alex Cora? 
Oh boy. Um, I think Korra, but I don't think it's one of those things where it's like, uh, I mean, they're both of their successes are really intertwined. Uh, and Korra being able to get things out of the guys that Bloom has added to this team, but it hasn't been like a, he's getting success out of guys despite the moves that he made. Like it's in tandem with the moves. They've both done a really good job. Uh, but I think Cora, just because of like you've you've pointed out so many times, just the uh, atmosphere that he brings to that clubhouse is just an atmosphere that energizes guys and you know pushes guys to be their best and win baseball games. So I think for that, um, but I don't think this is like one of those situations where it's like it has to be one or the other. I think they're both pretty closely should be credited with the success. Well, freaking said, Keaton. That it was, that was nicely done. I completely agree with you. Um, I'd say 50-50, and that's not even a cop-out, because guess who had the wherewithal to bring back Alex Cora? Heim Bloom. And he yeah. staked his reputation on it, and it was pretty risky uh, for him to make that move. I think it would have been a much easier move to bring in your own guy. But he went through the interview process and was like, no, Alex Cora is a great option. Um, and I think that that was, in, in a lot of ways, the riskiest move Heim Bloom could have made. Yeah, I would agree, for sure. Well, Keaton, that was a very full show, but I think a really good one. So uh, we hope that all of you out there enjoyed this listen. Uh, got your feel of Red Sox baseball. Uh, we've got a lot of exciting things coming up here. We've got the the uh, All-Star break. We've got the MLB draft, home run derby, futures game. Um, it's going to be a great month. So uh, make sure you're tuning into this podcast. All the others on the network, the Over the Monster podcast, the Red Sox on Deck podcast, and the Precap podcast. And uh, give us a rate and review. Five-star review would be nice if you got that in you. Uh, If not, thank you for listening to us, and we'll be with you again next week. 